Welcome to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. This is Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Sri Barawaj on the future of interoperability. Sri is a director of information systems and CISO at the University of California, Irvine Healthcare, UCI Health, and has over 25 years of information management systems experience in multiple industries, including healthcare. Shri has held many leadership positions with provider and payer organization. And prior to his current work at UCI, Shri consulted with Integrated Delivery Network, IDNs, around ACO, HIE, and clinical integration. Shri has expertise in applications development, enterprise-wide IT infrastructure and operations. Shri is well known as a SME in delivering performance improvements in multiple industries during his long tenure with Deloitte in various parts of the Americas, Asia Pacific, and EMEA region. Shri is a CHCIO, FHIMS, CPHIMS, PMP, CISSP, Chartered Global Management Accountant, and Six Sigma Black Belt. Shri is currently member of HIMS National Public Policy Committee and past chair, Privacy and Security Committee, and past president of SoCal HIMS. Shri, welcome to our program today. Thank you, Sarah. Looking forward to having a great conversation today. You are an industry expert. Uh, you're asked to speak at events all over the country. You get people reaching out to you in your personal uh, email and website and information. Um, but you stay very involved locally, obviously, across the nation as well. And so um, what do you see really for us as the best way to get involved in the future of interoperability? I think stay connected with HIMSS, uh, help, uh, help the organizations that you're working with, uh, get engaged with the folks that are using the data day in and day out and help physicians through this myriad technology platforms that are being developed and designed as we move forward towards a single ubiquitous access to healthcare. This is fantastic to have you here today. We're going to go ahead and jump into our questions. Awesome. Why is the exchange of data more important today than it was in the past? So, over the course of the years, uh, EMRs have had uh, the ability to transform um, from just a data aggregator to a data disseminator um, kind of um, environment. What I mean by that is, uh, many, many years ago, when we started with EMRs, they were just, uh, physicians were just putting in data uh, in order to document what it is, and was mostly used for uh, billing, as well as, you know, some review of patient information uh, the next time the patient comes around. Uh, that, I think, that, that world of uh, ability to document information and, and, you know, take that data and make it available from a pricing or value perspective has changed. Uh, what now people intend doing is use that data to actually come up with meaningful insight for patient care. And, you know, there are um, opportunities today that have changed the healthcare world as well. And why has that changed? Um, we, we've gone from, you know, going to the doctor, getting prescription and uh, uh, getting us treated to now asking more of the docs to provide us more longitudinal care over a period of time and also make sure that we get value for what we pay out for. U.S. has been for a long time, as many people know, uh, on the top of the cost curve in terms of healthcare, and I think uh, population health and value-based care initiatives uh, that have triggered what I would call a service delivery-based comprehensive care approach to um, to the entire realm. I think that is where 
uh, healthcare interoperability or exchange of data is becoming more and more important. Uh, these alternate payment models um, also force risk acceptance across the care continuum by not just a single provider, but a series of providers. So if you just take a, a patient that's based in Florida and a patient who's like, like a snowbird that's in Florida who flies out from, from the northern part of the country, right? Those patients have physicians who they see for a few months up north and a few months down south. There is a need for them to translate that information back and forth between those two providers. Somehow or the other, there could be a possibility where they're both sharing that information and also sharing the cost. If they are a diabetes patient, if they are basically a diabetes cohort from a uh, chronic care management perspective, you're looking at patients that have traversing multiple states, seeing multiple providers with the need to share that information for some reason or the other, apart from the fact that they are belong to the same ACO. So when you, are, you have situations like that, where you are looking at uh, sharing the risk, accepting cost avoidance capabilities, as well as maintaining the care across the care continuum, reviewing data that's happened between the past two weeks and the next two weeks, I think is where data exchange comes together. The other thing that is forcing discussion is uh, um, payer contracts are changing based on outcomes. Uh, you know, in order to manage payouts and incentives to provide physicians, uh, outcomes-based uh, contracts have been put in place by payers to make sure that the payers and the providers both have skin in the game. I think that also has changed. Last but not the least, you know, we've changed from the typical standard fee-for-service old mechanism to shared cost savings. Shared cost savings is great. Um, uh, shared savings as a overall is, uh, aspect is great. But without sharing data about the, the patient, it's almost impossible to really evaluate whether you are sharing cost or where the cost actually is getting incurred in order to evaluate how do you reduce that cost. That is forcing a level of exchange of data much, much more now compared to what was happening in the past. So, Sri, how do you see the industry responding to this increased need of data exchange? I think the industry by itself um, has matured over a course of time by developing interoperability standards. Uh, HL7 to FHIR was a good way to look at next generation interoperability capabilities from a standards perspective. However, till such time, those standards are utilized and put in place uh, by vendors and other uh, organizations that uh, that uh, facilitate interoperability, the standards make no meaning. So now you have the organizational alliances like Commonwealth Health Alliance and Care Equality trying to put that together. There is a possibility that that could be uh, that could be beneficial using those alliances and capabilities to share data. An example of that would be the Sequoia Project. The Sequoia Project is a, is, is a great example of pulling together information from multiple health entities, bringing it together, and, and delivering that information back to the physician for improved care. Vendors are also supporting this effort. I mean, Epic just released about a few weeks ago around uh, the Share Everywhere effort. Care Everywhere had been there for a while ago. I mean, those things are definitely you know, helping through from an industry perspective. 
But guess what? It's not just the industry. The feds have stepped in as well. Look at the changes that have been made by the 21st Centuries Act. The ONC certification rigor has increased to make sure there is not information blocking, the APIs to allow exchange of data, testing, and make sure that there is a testation to real-world scenarios for interoperability. In the past, the, the certification process is more like check the box in the sense that you could say, hey, I've done X to Y, and I've been able to accomplish X to Y, and you check the box. No longer that the certification process allows you to do that. You have to come up with real-world scenarios that have a bearing to uh, improving interoperability and increasing the ability for physicians to share that information. The, the Section 4003 of the 20th Centuries Act actually defines interoperability differently than what it was before. You're looking at secure exchange of electronic health information without any special effort on the part of the user. That's a big change in helping the industry move forward for a structured way to look at it. Next, you're looking at not just the exchange of data, but complete access to information, exchange, and authorized use. So you need to know where the authorized use is happening and how. And also make sure that it does not constitute information blocking. I mean, there is there is federal regulations now. There is organizations putting this together. There's new standards that are coming up. So the industry is gearing up to this need for interoperability. However, there is still a lot of work to be done because organizations have to accept these. Organizations have to use these. And it is difficult translating data, mapping tables between two separate entities, applications, is difficult. It's not easy, and it comes at a cost. However, we hope that coming at a cost, that cost can be kept to a point where it's minimum rather than that snowballing into a different type of expense from a technology perspective and less from a physician perspective. So how do you see this evolving for the future? You know, we, we take the time to make sure we can meet the needs where they are today, but this is changing the tires on a moving car. So how do you see it evolving so that by the time we need to be ready for the future, we're not constantly trying to catch up? So let's look at the future. Uh, when I look at the future, I am seeing the ability for uh, almost close to ubiquitous access to healthcare data controlled by the patient. I mean, people have to get to the point where well, we say, you know, the patient controls the data, not the, or not the hospital systems or the health systems or the payers, right? So that's the first thing that we need to look at. We probably have to look at the fact that or begin to accept that the data would be controlled by the patient. I'm, I'm, I'm really stargazing here. Uh, and there is a standard interface for any physician to access the data released by the patient from anywhere. Some kind of a, a, a standard, intro, you know, IE or Google, where you can just go in and put in the information based on information. There is some way, shape or form uh, authentication mechanism that happens to pull the data from the patient's, uh, for the simple language, uh, vault, right? A uh, patient has his data in a vault all data is deposited to the vault. The patient uses um, some sort of exchange mechanism to give you access to it, and the physician looks at their information. The other thing that I'm seeing also probably is uh, the need about not just sharing healthcare data, 
but personal data, social data, other, other health data that really the physician does not have today. By that, what do I mean? Is that I may have medical devices in my home, I may have medical devices on myself, my Apple Watch will be able to talk to another device that automatically talks to another device that sends the data over to the physician in a much more meaningful way. So when the physician logs into this magic portal, he's able to see anything and everything that's happening, including what I ate yesterday and how much milk I have in the fridge, right? I mean, that's the level of um, uh, what type of milk I have in the fridge, rather. So that's the level of information that I can share with my physician in order to look at not just healthcare, well-being. I mean, that is where the world is going to go when I look at stargazing. And what is going to happen is that physicians have to be proactive in developing care plans to help those kinds of patients and look at competitive forces driving that cost and value. So I'd be able to say, which is the best physician who has done X, Y, Z based on clinical trials or based on information publicly available or based on, you know, what I have talked to about 50 other patients who see him on a day-to-day basis in a social blog. Then I go figure out, okay, should I go and contract with this physician to do this work? Because I feel I might be diabetic, right? Because I would have already known that I, I'm, I'm close to being diabetic because of my genealogical factors that I get through something like a 23andMe. But at the same time, I should be able to say, okay, I know I'm going to get this. How do I prevent that? What well-being do I do? And this may be not everybody in the population. Maybe there is a selected amount of population that gets there initially, but then that, is, that would be what I would call a movement towards healthy well-being becoming the norm rather than the ask by the healthcare industry. That will change the way physicians work together organizations work together and maybe there's a there's i mean the the concept of payer would have changed by that time obviously um but the concept of physician would never change purely because a physician provides services for healthcare being right so that that is where i see this evolving in the future so you mentioned that ability of all of the time information that we have our wearable technologies both on our bodies in our homes our social activity is monitored etc what is the patient's choice in opting in to share all of that information for the betterment of their own care versus how we secure that information for ourselves in the future? So here is where I think technologies like blockchain really come into play. The patient will be able to use some sort of a technology that allows him to control who has access to what information up to what point in time based on what credentials that they offer to him so that he knows who they say they are. It's a very different transforming world. So, I mean, when you look at the days of Napster, right? I mean, you had to share your IP address with with the, you didn't know this, but that's what was happening in the back end. You had to share your IP address with the, with the sender. The sender had to share his IP address as well. There was a login process. Somebody maintained it somewhere, and it was there, out there, and people knew they were, they were getting into it. But you would opt out of it, opt in into it, whichever way, whenever way you wanted. All you had to do is, uh, you know, what I would call um, unload the software and load the software up. If you uninstall, install, you'd be fine. That is the level of interoperability that I expect to see using something like a blockchain that forces patients to really evaluate who they share, what type of data with, 
because they'll have access to that data and that information will be made available to their physician or even to their trainer. The, uh, you know, if you take the 24-hour fitness trainer that needs to understand what's really happening into your body and what he needs to focus on the next three weeks, maybe you're going to go to a ball game and going to, you know, chew on hot dogs and nachos, which is great. But then as long as your trainer knows that that's what's going to happen, he'd be able to position you to say, wait a minute, you're going to be doing this. Why don't we train your body to get there? Just like how athletes train to run marathons today, there are things that we could do to help bring into the process ahead of time because we know there is an event that's coming up. This is where I think the combination of social, personal, healthcare data come together. So at the end of the day, you don't land up in the ER because you just went to a ball game last night. So you mentioned athletes, Shri, and I know you've been involved in the Olympic Healthcare Interoperability Project with the Olympics coming to Los Angeles in 2028. If we were to stargaze a little bit, tell me how you see this coming into play for the Olympic Healthcare Interoperability Initiative. So let's talk about Olympics at the broader level, right? The coming together of uh, thousands and thousands of people into a single geographic location that is viewing, experiencing, and delivering that entertainment value-based game process. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm just simplifying it, but that, that, that's where I see healthcare changing the way we do things. Now, there are going to be, these are all people who are going to interact with each other. There's various factors that becomes part of the games, not just the game by itself, not just the, the, you know, the gold medals itself, but anything and everything outside it. And as you see that, there are people who are going to fall sick, people who are going to get hurt, people who are going to be hurt at, at the games, people are going to be hurt um, probably in the bar, uh, two streets down from the arena. There are so many things that are going to be happening. How do we bring healthcare to that in- environment? How do we get interoperability? How do we get that data is what we're looking at. So we've developed scenarios for how do we bring an Olympic healthcare interoperability. And we started with a small population. When I mean a small population, I call the Olympic family. Basically, the, the coaches, the, 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 uh, the athletes, and their immediate family, right? That's what we would call the Olympic family. And that alone, just by counting fingers, is close to about 100,000 people. Now, 100,000 people coming together to perform for you know, millions and millions of viewers. Let's not worry about the millions of viewers. At least let's look at the 100,000 people. Their healthcare data, if we bring that together, you know, that'll be a big ask because when that uh, athlete falls down or uh, it gets hurt, the immediate thing he's going to be doing is going to a nearby hospital or health system to get cared for. And they would not know any information about this athlete apart from the fact that he was an Olympic athlete and he had a strange, uh, you know, um, uh, he had a strange fall uh, that brought him to the hospital. That's all they would know. Yes, they would be able to speak, but not many of the athletes may not be able to translate what they do if they come from different countries. Many of them would not have their healthcare records together with them. So what we are looking at is creating a movement in, Olo- in the Olympics to start pulling information for specific athletes from various different countries using what we would call the OGCs, the, um, the Olympic Governance Councils in each of these countries, and pull it all together and make sure that we have consent, of course, from the, from the uh, athlete, 
from basically any of the Olympic family so that we can pull that information, make it available when they come and present themselves in a hospital or health system here in the United States associated with the LA Olympics. That is huge. That will be cool. That will be something that we offer as a legacy to every Olympics happening beyond that date. We are doing already things now with the existing Olympics to help move this forward. And we think that that will be something that we, are, we can start with a few athletes here, uh, get some interoperative built out, get some scenarios worked through, and make it available. One scenario is a country which has got all the healthcare data and EMRs will be able to pull that data interoperable and in a standard HL7 format that can be seen by any physician. That will be like nirvana, right? That will be the first thing. The second scenario would be a mixture of that, right? Some healthcare data is available in some systems and some healthcare data is not. And maybe the, the third one is, you know, in, in places where we're in like Africa where uh, people, you know, sometimes go to, uh, you know, doctors that are not even in the system to help any information, pull, inf pull any information. So you have three different types of scenarios where you're trying to pull extract data and along with consent from the athlete. The, 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 the scenario that I'm envisioning is uh, a, a place where the, the patient walks in into the ED and either he has a, a something on his forehead or something on his hand with a chip that can read all the healthcare information and deliver that information directly to the EMR. Uh, of the of the health system, that is where um, there is uh, is is where that that likely likelihood of that happening is definitely there, but it's just going to take some time for us to get there. That is what we are talking thinking about doing with the Olympics. Now, the same same uh, capability could be offered at regional uh, athlete uh, meets as well, like the Asian um, what I would call the Asian Games. Uh, I mean, there is, there's plenty other regional uh, things that are happening. And we could translate to uh, the soccer that happens all across the world as well and other gaming capabilities. We look at this from the terms of the Olympics being that hallmark event where we can bring all these pieces together. And we think about LA 2028, that's just over a decade away. Is it feasible, Sri, that you and I as watchers of the Olympics, of those deciding to just participate in the festivities of the games would have those same capabilities available to us with it being just far enough in the future that you and I could also walk into any medical center in LA and have that information available? Uh, it could be possible. Um, there is, there are, um, obviously there are, um, you know, political compliance hurdles that has to be, you know, kind of gone through and met and so on and so forth. Uh, we are seeing some sparks of uh, uh, good feedback from various folks whom we've talked to already associated with it. Um, the, uh, the National Hymns Board has uh, uh, one of the members of the National Hymns Board, uh, Nussbaum, Mike Nussbaum, is, is a member of our, our uh, interoperability committee. Uh, National Hymns has helped uh, move this forward. Uh, special uh, recognition from various other organizations. Uh, GE is a huge supporter of healthcare associated with the Olympics. There are other people who are helping with the Olympics capabilities today. Vendor organizations are getting up to get the rise to the challenge. Uh, definitely possible. Uh, it is It is going to take, uh, I mean, if you ask me five years down the line, I probably will have a different picture. But definitely uh, right now, uh, it seems to be 
a definite possibility. When you think about the responsibility associated with interoperability, who is really responsible for interoperability? Is it organically within the healthcare industry that we continue to push this? Where do we see legislation fitting in and how we can partner with our legislators to push the need for interoperability to become more commonplace and not really on the backs of the technologists trying to make it all happen today? So it's it's a combination of uh, of capabilities that we we need to work with. Um, it's not just because you know the the government is the largest payer. Uh, we know that, right? We they through Medicare. So there needs to be some level of engagement with the likes of CMS. And nothing happens in CMS till such time there is some regulation, some law that helps them go down the, go down the path. Then you got the payers, right? I mean, we just saw some payer consolidation market changes. I mean, uh, the the CVS and Aetna deal. I mean, the, the, we are we are looking at uh, industry changing itself, coming together to deliver that interoperability by nature of just being the force of how it works uh, from a cost perspective, from a outcomes perspective, and also from a payout perspective, right? Those three things are forcing industry to change. Apart from that, there is health systems that are, you know, merging together due to the same pressures uh, that we just highlighted. With this level of change that's happening in the industry, the industry is really dynamic right now. And with this level of changes happening in the industry, uh, interoperability is going to become key. No more can somebody say, I'm going to hold my data close to my chest and you can't get it to it. It's not. It's never going to be possible to say that anymore. No more people are going to say it's in my health record. Go get it if you can. Uh, send me an email and I will send it to you to your portal and you can share it if you want. The blue button initiative allows you to download the data. There are many many things that have happened that we see that will continue to move forward with interoperability, not just with a, a you know we need we need to either get the regulation in place and we need to get. Um, you know, some level of uh, engagement from the providers and payers. All of this is going to happen. Um, it'll happen organically in some instances because of mergers and acquisitions. It could happen uh, forcefully in some instances because uh, Medicare will require more information from you in order to make payouts, like the shared savings plans. And it could happen forced on, uh, you know, physicians wanting to interact more with their patients. Um, that also is happening. That also is becoming care because they realize that, you know, caring for patients is, is going to be greater when the patient is engaged with them. So in order to engage the patient, you're going to be willing to share your information. Open notes is an example. Take that information, give it to the patients and pull that information back from the patient in terms of what they are doing outside of the healthcare system. As, uh, as the, pre- the previous CEO of Geisinger said, 85% of the healthcare data is outside the healthcare system. So we needed to get that data in order to make the right determinants in healthcare, and that will be what we'll be forced to do. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be regulation in one way. Uh, I don't think it's going to be just uh, the payers asking for more information. It's going to be a combination of all of that stuff that has to happen in order for us to change. Sri, there is so much data out there and so much information for our listeners to try to get their arms around. Other than being involved in our Southern California chapter of HIMSS, what do you recommend for our listeners to be in front of the interoperability curve? There are three things that I have done in my past life uh, to 
to get keep up with with the happenings in the industry. Number one, uh, subscribe to blogs and capabilities that are available around what uh, each of these folks have prescribed and provided in the organizations, number one. Number two, attend conferences, speak to people, get more knowledge and help working through this. Third thing, vendors have become a lot more, um, uh, I would call forthcoming with the capabilities that they are delivering as well as part of their software. Uh, as the vendor organizations kind of merge, we are seeing a few of them already. Uh, as they merge, there is going to be much more easier access that you can get to. So I think participating rather than saying it's not going to happen to me and being the naysayer out there, participating, facilitating, and gathering knowledge uh, is going to be the most critical thing that anybody can do to keep them engaged with interoperability. And without a doubt, there will be listeners who want to reach out to you because of your subject matter expertise. And quite honestly, just your approachability for those of you who have met Sheree. He is one of the most affable gentlemen you could ever come across and willing to share all of his learnings with you. Sri, how would you recommend that listeners reach out to you? They could reach out through uh, HIMSS um, um, or they could reach out to me personally um, on my email. Uh, Shri at SriRamBharadwaj.com would be easier for folks to get to reach out to me and I'd be willing to help uh, and share uh, any perspective that uh, they, they seem to think would be useful for them. No, oh, fantastic. And for our listeners, this will be available on our podcast channel as well as the SoCal Hymns website where we will have Shri's bio, his headshot, and his contact information. Shri, any last thoughts for our listeners before we end today's podcast? I just think that interoperability is not just a single word that is going to transform the way we do things. Uh, it is going to become the way we live, breathe, and use healthcare information all across our entire lives and our lives of our children and grandchildren. I think that is where uh, we believe we will change. And it's about time we did so that we can get our information that we need to our physicians who have to take the most important care for us. And I doubt this will be the last time we hear from you on this topic. Thank you, Shri, for your time with us in this session. We look forward to future ones as well. And uh, most definitely hearing how the Olympic Healthcare Interoperability Initiative continues to move forward. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Sarah. That was awesome. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Be on the lookout for next month's episode featuring Andrew Carr, managing partner at 40AU and author of The Humility Imperative. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.